Good morning, everybody. Um, right, we're going to carry on studying Nehemiah chapter 4, dealing with the opposition, but it's something we all experience. And so we're going to have a look at what the opposition was and what it did, what Nehemiah's response to it was, and what can we do? Because we do all face opposition, and often it's very long term, and it's something that we have to deal with in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I read Old Testament stories. I've listened to them ever since I was a young child. And I don't think I really understand the full impact of the stories. And I've read Nehemiah, and I've read that Nehemiah went and built a wall. And, you know, that's that, Nehemiah built the wall. But I don't think I've really thought about, until we've studied it for the last few weeks, what Nehemiah actually did. So for those of you who've missed the earlier weeks, I suggest you go and get the tapes and listen to them because it's really interesting. Because Nehemiah was um, a young man. He lived in Babylon and he worked for the king as a cupbearer, drinking wine all day, presumably. Uh, Hardly good preparation for going to build a wall, one would think. But um, God obviously was very close to Nehemiah and stirred Nehemiah's heart to go and travel 1,500 miles to build a wall with a people in a city that he'd probably never been to. So it's all absolutely crazy when you start thinking about it. But fortunately for the Israelites, Nehemiah was a man of God who listened to God, spent time praying, um, and because, of, because he prayed to God and, and, and went at the right time, um, the king's mind was changed. He was allowed time off. He was given the stuff to go and build the city walls with. And off he trotted for his 1,500-mile trek, which in those days was pretty, pretty exhausting, I should think. Um, when he gets to the city, um, it's been derelict, really, for 150 years. The, people, the walls have been broken down. The people have been um, just sort of existing. But they're in a pretty sad state of affairs and he has to motivate these people some of them were priests some of them were goldsmiths some of them were making perfume and he has to motivate them to go and rebuild a wall it's just a completely crazy story but anyway it happened and the people started building the wall so far so good then the opposition kicked in at first very low-key just people ridiculing and just generally being a nuisance, but not physically intervening or or doing anything more than that. Well, why were these people so keen to stop the wall being built? If we go back in history to the time when the Israelites came into the Promised Land, there were seven people groups in that land and God moved them all out. Um, I don't know what methods he used, whether it was wars or or whatever, but God moved seven people groups out of the land so that the Jews could move in. So reason enough for people to hate the Jews at that time. The people that are mentioned in the story um, were all, well, certainly some of them, were those people groups that had been displaced. And presumably it had festered for over the years, um, this hatred. Sambalek came from the north of Jerusalem. Uh, Tobiah and the Ammonites came from the east. The Arabs came from the south. And the Ashdodites came from the west. So there was Jerusalem and Nehemiah bang in the middle of all these enemies. 
While the city was in ruins, everything was fine. They weren't bothered about um, attacking the city because there wasn't really much to destroy. But now they could see a leader making a difference. They could see the people being stirred into action. They were determined to stop it. And the aim of their opposition? Demoralise the people. Stop the building. And actually, it's no different today. Opposition comes to us, and the aim is to demoralise us and to stop, stop us from living the life that God has for us. It's just very different nowadays to, to the, what was actually going on in those days. Our opposition comes in lots of different methods. It might be that you're having trouble at work. It might be you're living under financial pressure. It might be mental health issues. It could be a long-term physical health issue. It could be persecution. There is no end to the opposition that comes our way. The one thing that a lot of it has in common is that it doesn't go away very quickly. And Nehemiah's opposition didn't go away very quickly either. So what did he do? Well, the interesting thing when you read the story that we had in the reading today is that Nehemiah didn't seem to be surprised by the opposition. He accepted that it was there. He got very angry about it, but it hadn't thrown him off key. He still persevered, carrying on, encouraging the people. But he was angry, he was passionate, and he turned to God in angry and passionate prayer. He even suggests that God um, sends these exiles into exile, these um, opposition into exile. He he's furious at it, but it hasn't thrown him off his stride. He keeps the people motivating. Well, in John sixteen verse thirty three, Jesus says, "In this world, you will have trouble." It's not a very cheerful voice verse, is it? But we will have trouble. But there is a second bit of the verse. It says, take heart, I have overcome the world. If we didn't have the second bit, the first bit would be fairly daunting. So we shouldn't be surprised either when trouble comes our way. But Nehemiah was such a man of God that he was confident of God's ability. And in verse 20, he tells the people, our God will fight for us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we reach the place where we too can say, our God is going to do the fighting for us? Well, the Jews made progress. They got their walls built all the way round and they got it to half the height they wanted. It was obviously now visible to all the enemies and they really upped the opposition. In verse 8, it says, They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem quite daunting now. This was opposition on a different scale. They could see that there was a successful wall building rising and they wanted to do something to destroy it. Lots of the people who worked on the wall, lots of the people from Jerusalem, actually lived outside surrounding the walls. Um, And it was these people out on the edges that really took the brunt of this opposition. They heard the rumours of wars, and they must have been able to see the armies in the distance. Perhaps the soldiers sort of came near and went away again. It was enough to really unsettle them. And they were terrified. And they came to Nehemiah, 
And they said to him, we're going to be killed. We're tired. We're worn out. This wall isn't progressing fast enough. And poor Nehemiah had to deal with not only the external enemies, but his own people getting restless. They were feeling defeated. It was a mammoth task that they'd, over, they'd undertaken. He was really a man under pressure. And sometimes we can feel like that too, can't we? Things just crowd in on us and you get something comes against you and then there's something else comes against you and you just feel as though you were drowning. Well, Nehemiah fortunately was very resilient and he goes straight back to God in prayer. He also takes some practical action and he puts armed guards at the vulnerable points around the wall. Now, whether they were there to actually fight an enemy or whether they were there to reassure the people, I don't know. But whatever happened, he felt the need to do that. He also called the people together and he gave them some advice. And it is so timely for us today as well as for Nehemiah. In verse 14, he says to them, Don't be afraid of them. Put your mind on the master, great and awesome, and then fight for your families. And we can so easily just get stuck thinking about the problem. We need to remember that God is bigger than the problem. We need to refocus and we need to, that needs to be our real thought, not the problem. And I know it's much easier to say than it is to do. Much, much easier. And perhaps the only way we get to that point is by spending time with God, spending time in prayer, reading our Bible, listening to worship. It does gradually shift our perception because if we focus on the problem, it will be overwhelming. Well, in order to combat the threat, the people were armed as they worked. In verse 17, we read, The common labourers held a tool in one hand and a spear in the other. And each of the builders had a sword strapped to his side. So these poor people, not only were they not builders, but they've now got to carry weapons as well. It really was a hard job. And God doesn't promise us easy working conditions. He doesn't promise us an easy life. And he has given us weapons to use against the opposition. There's a whole chapter in Ephesians, chapter 6, where Paul talks about the armour of God. A lot of it is defensive. He tells us to put on a breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation, shield of faith, a belt of truth, to wear shoes of the gospel of peace. But he does also give us a weapon as well. Just like the wall builders, we have the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And we really do need to get to the point where we can stand on the promises of God so that we can stand firm. And we need to be reading our Bible and memorising our Bible. And I'm hopeless at this. Um, But it needs to be part of our lives so that we have got something to throw back when opposition comes. Well, the final part of Nehemiah's strategy to deal with the enemy was to go round the wall with a trumpet. Sounds slightly crazy, really. Um, But the people were very spread out. They were all building separate bits on the wall. 
And I, I tried to imagine what this must be like. And the nearest thing I can come up with is York. I don't know if anybody's been to York. Um, you can walk quite a large way round the city walls. And then you have to, in your imagination, take out all the 21st century noise, all the traffic, all that sort of thing. And if you imagine yourself walking around the walls of the city, if somebody blew a trumpet, the noise would carry, if they were on the, the top of the wall, the noise would carry round the city walls. Um, obviously not today, but in, in, um, in their era when, the, when it wasn't as noisy. The aim was that as soon as the trumpet call went out, the people would know they had to rally at that point. That was where the, energy, where the enemy was attacking. That's where they needed to be. Now, we don't have trumpets. Um, I'm sure Adam could muster one up if necessary and give it a blow. But, um, but we have a community. And God has put us in that community to support each other. And it's especially in difficult times that we need to know that there are people around us. There are people praying with us and there are people praying for us. There's a lovely story in Exodus of Moses and the Israelites. The Israelites go off to war and they're going to fight the Amalekites. And Moses says, I will go and stand on the mountain and I will hold up the staff of God and um, you, know, you, can, you go off to battle. So Moses goes up the mountain, the people go off to battle, and Moses holds the staff of God up in the air. All the while he's standing there with this rod stuck up in the air, the Israelites are winning. However, Moses was human, and like most of us, I don't know how long you've tried to hold your hands up in the air, after a while it becomes a real task. And Moses was weary and lowered his hands. As he lowered his hands, the battle fortunes changed and the Amalekites began to win. So what did they do? Well, this is when they sent in the support. Aaron and Hur, who were up the mountain with him, found a stone for Moses to sit on so that his legs were no longer worn out. And then they took one arm each and they held this staff up. And because the staff was in the air, the Israelites were able to win the battle. It's an incredible picture of people moving in, standing next to people and helping out when they're needed. Now this chapter has really challenged me. What do I do when opposition comes? And I would like to share something that I've learnt recently. Um, I hope it will really encourage you. I've learned that when, um, when opposition comes, we have two choices. We either run to God or we allow a wedge to be driven between us and God. Because we ask lots of questions, we want to know why. Why is this happening? Um, and we want reasons. Well, two years ago, my husband was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And I went down the second route. Um, I asked why. Why us? Why now? Why don't you heal him? I could give God lots of reasons why. If he healed him, that might make my children come back to to God. You know, I, I could... All sorts of reasons. I just came up with question after question. What I began to find 
was, I was asking these questions to a vacuum because I was becoming more and more distant from God. Well, fortunately, I had some really good friends who moved in alongside me, like Erin and her. They cried with me, they prayed with me, and they prayed for me. And it's taken two years now. I can say none of my questions were answered, okay, none at all. Um, I can also say that days go up and days go down. I have good days and I have bad days because the situation hasn't changed. I'm still praying for a miracle, but it hasn't happened. But I've changed. The questions don't matter anymore. Because I've learned, and I think it's because it was those people praying for me. Because when opposition hits you hard, you can't pray for yourself. You get, it's all overwhelming. But those people stood alongside me and they prayed for me. And I've changed because I now know God is with me. So the situation is still there. I don't like it any more than I did before. But it's not overwhelming anymore because he's with me. And I just want to encourage you, if I can change, I'm a very stubborn lady. If I can change, then, you know, with the grace of God, um, then God can change you as well. He can work miracles in your life. So it's not changing the opposition necessarily. It's changing us and the way we face the opposition. God, once, once you know God is with you in it, then it changes how you perceive it. It's no longer so daunting. So I haven't got all the answers, but I just wanted to share that, you know, there is hope. When you get opposition, it's really, really vital that you find support. You need people with you who will stand with you, pray for you, and and just be with you. Sometimes they don't have to say anything. They just have to be there. And Nehemiah's problems didn't disappear quickly either. Um, but he was able to work through them because he knew God was on his side. So if you're facing opposition now, can I encourage you? Follow Nehemiah's example, not mine, because he got it right. I'm only halfway along the line, if that. Give God your problem and let him change you. Arm yourself. Do what you can. Read the word of God. Learn verses Find the promises that God has put in the Bible for us and find people to stand alongside you, to pray with you. It makes such a difference. Shall we pray? Father, thank you that you are an amazing God and that you are greater than all the things in this world and that you are on our side. Help us to turn to you, Lord, when times get hard. Because you are the only answer. And thank you for the examples you've given us in the Bible of great men of God and women um, who just rely on you. Lord, we just ask that you will make us more like them. That you will enable us to stand firm when opposition comes. And to put our eyes on you not on the problem. So we ask it in your name. Amen.